The following sermon is brought to you by Capital Community Church, located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Capital Community Church is a people awakened to a holy God. If you are searching for a new church home, or from out of town looking for a church to worship with, or simply seeking for answers, please join us for worship at 1045 a.m. every Sunday morning and 6 o'clock p.m. for our evening service. If you have any questions, please email us at info at We pray this sermon will help you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. It's always a pleasure to be up here with you this morning as we walk together through God's Word. If you have a copy of uh, God's Word, I'm going to ask, if you will, turn over to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2. And this morning, we are going to be looking at uh, this Old Testament book. And if you're uh, maybe maybe new to the Scriptures, if you, go, if you cut the Bible in half, go to the book of Psalms, go left, you will find the book of Ruth right after the book of Judges. They're nestled between there and 1 Samuel. You know, everyone loves a good story. Everyone does. And that's exactly what the book of Ruth captures for us. Short, only four chapters right nestled here in the midst of the Old Testament. But it is a significant story because what it holds to us, like every good story does, it captures our attention just instantly. The narrator, the writer of this story, he, he ebbs and flows throughout the whole text, uh, writing with joy and suspension. There's word plays, there's word pictures, and in the whole time it's moving together in a very well-balanced way. This morning we are going to be looking at Ruth chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the entirety of Ruth 2, and what we are going to see is a major theme in the book of Ruth, and in fact, I will say the entire book of the Bible. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of redemption. And think about that word. What comes to your mind when you think about redemption or redeem or, 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 or being redeemed? Maybe phrases like purchase or, or buyback or even deliverance. And I know there's some of you in here maybe thinking about redeeming a coupon. I know that you're probably putting your grocery list together as I speak. And so that's a joke. But nonetheless, those phrases may come, in, come into your mind. But what we are going to see this morning is we are going to see the power of God in salvation. We are going to see how the God himself, and only God can do this, he is going to redeem a family who has nothing. A family who has nothing. This morning, we are going to see exactly, you may meet this family, and we're going to be introduced to three players. Two women, Ruth and Naomi, and then a man named Boaz. And we are going to see how God in his sovereign and gracious hand moves throughout this story and helping us to see through his providence, this family come together. They meet the Redeemer, they interact, and as if you have studied Ruth before, you will find at the end of the book of Ruth, they are redeemed because this family is in the line of King David. And in fact, we see their names even mentioned in the line of Jesus Christ. This is what we're going to see this morning, the power of God through redemption. And so in order to be able to walk together with me in this story, we're going to look at three points. And I hope that you received an outline this morning. I didn't give you one of those meaty ones. I know what you're looking for. You're like a dog with a bone. So I didn't give you that. I'm going to make you work again. And so hopefully you receive one of those so you can take notes along the way. But what we're going to look at throughout this story this morning is three things. Number one, we are going to see how God provides the Redeemer. Only he can. 
So the center of attention is on God providing the Redeemer. The second thing we're going to see is when he does provide the Redeemer, and spoiler alert, I'm going to go ahead and give you a hint. It's Boaz. And as we are going to meet Boaz, we are going to see the heart of this man. We're going to see the heart of the Redeemer. The third thing we're also going to see is the provision of the Redeemer, i.e., what does he do? And we're going to see that towards the tail end of the chapter. But this morning, my prayer also for you and for me is this. Number one, like we prayed in our pastoral prayer, there are some of you in here who have no idea what it means to be redeemed. You've heard this morning through the songs, the prayer, through even the scripture read, you've heard about Jesus, you've heard about what he has done, but my prayer for you this morning is that if you don't know Christ, you will see the power of redemption. That's my prayer. The second thing is this, if you are a Christian, and that is a big if, but if you are a Christian, my prayer for you is that you will see a bigger picture of who God is, that it will go from here to here and beyond, that you will see how God is a glorious and gracious redeemer. My prayer is that you're going to see through this short story the power of God unto salvation, and it can only come from him alone. So before we get started, and again, I hope you turn there to Ruth chapter 2, let's ask the Lord to pray, because before we can come to his word, we have to ask him for his help. So if you will, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to guide us this morning. Eternal Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to come and to hear your word proclaimed. God, we know that it says that your word will never return void. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's living and active. And Father, accompanied with your word is your Holy Spirit. So we ask, Lord, that your spirit will guide us now, that you will teach us, that it will be a spirit-filled sermon, that you will convict us where we need convicting and encouraging where we need to be encouraged, all by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Father, teach us now through your word, and it's in Christ I pray. Amen. Before we can jump into the book of Ruth, it's going to be very helpful for us to get a little context because we are jumping right in the middle half of it. So let me give you just a couple of brief points that will set up the stage for us to be able to understand this book in a better light. First of all, the book of Ruth comes right after the book of Judges. The book of Judges is a historical narrative, and let me summarize it for you. It is the ups and the downs of the people of Israel. They follow God They disobey God, God brings judgment, they repent, and they come back to being faithful. And it is a repeated cycle over and over and over again. That's what we find. And if you were to look over in just maybe one or two pages, you will find in the last verse in the book of Judges, it says this in verse 25. In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what's right in his own eyes, i.e. unfaithfulness. That's what's taking place. The second thing we need to see here is though Ruth is nestled right after the book of Judges, that doesn't mean that the period of the Judges has ended. You follow me when I say that? What we find here in Ruth is that even though there is unlawlessness in the land, there is still a faithful remnant of people obeying the law of God. And that's what we find here with these three actors. So it's setting in the context of the book of Judges. There are still faithful Israelites. The third thing we need to see here is that we don't know who wrote the book of Ruth. Commentators don't know who is the author behind this this four-chapter story. But what we know is this, and as I've dug into the text as well, I feel that we, this has been written in the time of King David, when David ascended to the throne. I would say probably in the early days when he was king. Because, turn over one page to Ruth chapter 4. 
If you look at verses 18 through 22, you see a genealogy listed there at the end of the book. And a lot of commentators, and in fact, even myself, tend to think this is one of the most important parts of the book of Ruth because it has the genealogy to David. And you also know, another, I'll give you a little, little hint here, a little nugget. Guess who is descended from David? Jesus. So we have to, and we, that gives a little context here. But here's where we are in Ruth chapter 2. Flip back over one page to Ruth chapter 1 with me. If you look in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, what we find here is this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man, this is verse 2, was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Maon and Kilion. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and as well as you can see his two sons. They took Moabite wives. The one was Orpah and the other was Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Mahon and Kilion died. So the, women, the woman was left without her two sons and her husbands. So we meet Bethlehemites. We meet a man named Elimelech and a woman named Naomi and their two sons. There's a famine in the land. And Bethlehem is a few miles south of Jerusalem on the other side of the Dead Sea, and they travel to Moab. And let me give you a little context of Moab. If you flip over, and we're not going to do that, if you flip over to Genesis 19, you will find that Moab is from the incestual relationship with Lot and his daughters. I won't go into more detail than that, but you can flip there and read that. And that is the, the, the history of how the people of Moab came to be. But Moab is on the other side of the Dead Sea, which means Elimelech and Naomi will probably have to travel anywhere from 60 to 90 miles to get to Moab. And one time we even see in the book of Chronicles where Israel ruled over Moab, but they are enemies of God. But here's what we need to understand. There's a famine in the land. We don't know if this is because of God's judgment or if this is just in God's sovereignty and the season of life that uh, Bethlehem is in, but there is a famine in the land and there's no food. And here's what we need to understand. Elimelech does not trust God and he flees. Because Bethlehem, and you can write this down in your outline, the name of Bethlehem is the house of bread. The house of bread. Let me ask you a silly question. You can eat bread to, to survive, right? You can, use, you can use bread on a daily basis in order to survive and to live and to have food and sustenance. I know that's an elementary question, but that's what the city is called. It's the house of bread. And then guess what Elimelech's name is? My God is my king. Yahweh is my king. And you can write that down as well. But though Yahweh is Elimelech's king, he doubts the king. He doubts Yahweh is going to provide for his people, even though there is a famine in the land. And there we see death take place upon the family. Whenever you leave God's land, just like Sarah and Abraham did when they fled to Egypt, bad things happened. And this is exactly what we find here. And the last point that will give us a greater context of where we are. Look over in chapter 1, and this is going to help us to see the power of redemption in order to be redeemed. Look with me in chapter 1, starting in verse 16. And this is Ruth talking to her mother-in-law, Naomi, after she's a widower, so was her mother-in-law, so was her sister-in-law. And Naomi here is saying, go back to Moab. Go back to your family. You'll be provided for there. And listen to what, to what Ruth says. But Ruth, verse 16, says, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. 
Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. That's covenant language. Here, Ruth, a Moabite, not even an Israelite, not from Bethlehem, commits to Naomi and says, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. It's covenant language. And that train of thought, that heartfelt sentiment, that belief and conviction carries us through throughout the entire story of Ruth. So let's pick up. And what we're going to see now is through all, through all these circumstances, God is at work orchestrating everything to redeem this broken family. So you ready to journey with me? Let's journey in this chapter together. So look with me in Ruth chapter 2. And if you have your outline, let's look at our first point together this morning, how God provides the Redeemer. God provides the Redeemer. Chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Malevolent, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, and whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come upon the part of the field belonging to Boaz. How about that? Who was of the clan of Elimelech? So here we're now in Act 2 of this play, of this great story, and here we're coming to a, a solution to their problem. They've come back from Moab. They don't have anything to their name. It's a broken family, but here's a solution. Ruth sees that she can go out into the field and glean, i.e., to survive, to get food. And there in verse 1, immediately how, it's interesting how the, the commentator puts this here, but he says in the very beginning, we are introduced to another character named Boaz, who is a worthy man. Describes myself, if I can be honest. And so, <laughs> but here he is, a worthy man. And the NIV, I'm not sure what version you have for yourself, but he, the NIV says he's a man of standing. The King James Version says that he is a mighty man of wealth. He is worthy. Other translations, when you look at the, the Hebrew word of worthy, it means ability. He is able. He has influence. Verse 1 makes the point of this of Boaz. Reputation precedes himself. He is a man of character and wealth. But the narrator wants you to see he is a man of character, which gives us a brief point of application. Character matters. Right out of the gate, here's already a point of application for you. Character matters. Paul, talking about elders in 1 Timothy chapter 3, says this, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he might not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. What people say about you matters. And if you are a Christian, you are not only a representative of yourself, but more importantly, you are a daughter or a son of the King of Kings. And so your reputation matters. John MacArthur commenting on 1 Timothy chapter 3 says this, how can he, talking about an elder, make a spiritual impact on those who do not respect him? So character matters. It doesn't matter how much money you have, no matter the amount, character stands the test of time. And there in verse 2, continuing on here, Ruth takes initiative and she goes out in the fields to provide. And this is an interesting point in the text because here a Moabite woman who is from the Moabite people who have worshiped the false god of Chemosh, here she trusts in Yahweh and she goes into the field knowing that gleaning can take place. 
Now, I'm not going to go into much detail about gleaning, but here is the context. If you were to look in Leviticus chapter 19 or in Deuteronomy chapter 24, you will find that farmers were to leave portions of their field for people like Ruth to be able to get food. Widows and aliens and people of destitute were able to go out and know that they will be provided for. If you've ever seen gleaning take place out in the fields, it's, it's very just uh, sweet and humbling to, to see. I know so many farmers around here, even in the surrounding Wake County, do this as well. But Catherine and I have a friend down east who owns a, a farm. And I remember him saying this years ago to me, that at night I saw all these people in his field gleaning. And he said to me, you'd be amazed how many people have come to me, the farmer, and say, if it wasn't for you allowing me to glean, I wouldn't survive. Just a few years ago, people doing this to be able to survive, and this is exactly what Ruth does. And here's an important part of the story. Look with me in verse 3. So she set out to the reapers, and she happened to come a part of the field belonging to Boaz. Here's, as it flows through the story, here we see another important part. The sovereignty of God is at play. The Hebrew reads it like this. Her chance chanced upon the allotted portion of the field of Boaz. The narrator points out that the chance of Ruth has brought her to this field, or as one idiom we would say, as luck would have it. And how we can understand the text is this, is that there's no chance in the economy of God. And God's sovereignty, everything has been put together, is happening in, in, not in tandem, of course, to some random acts in the world around us. No, everything is happening because God's sovereign control is ruling it and allowing it to happen. And here, even though the narrator is not overly speaking it here in the text, he would be screaming out, coming behind the curtain, saying, look at the sovereignty of God. God, it is sovereignly has put Ruth in this field for a reason. And it's right there in verse Scripture repeatedly teaches us the sovereignty of God, how it is a, it's a good thing. It's good because it's for our good, but also, most importantly, for the glory of God. A key text that has always helped me to understand the sovereignty of God is Proverbs 16, 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Meaning, for example, if you throw dice down and two ones hit or two twos hit or whatever, God has sovereignly allowed those numbers to roll to the top. Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, listen to this, and not one of them fall to the ground apart from your heavenly Father. When the leaves fall, when the wind blows, when something happens in your life, whether good or bad, God sovereignly has put those things into motion. A.W. Pink, in his book, The Sovereignty of God, says this, Nothing at all in the vast universe can come to pass otherwise than that God has eternally purposed it. And you need to understand this. There is nothing outside of God's control. Even though when you flip over the news and you look into the world around us, even though chaos and evil is constantly being portrayed on, on the news scenes around us, you can take rest in that God knows everything that's taking place, and it's all according to his eternal purposes. And this is a magnificent truth to think about. And here, God provides the redemption for Ruth. She meets and comes, into, she comes to the field of Boaz. She has no idea at this point in the story what's going to happen next. But in order for chapter 4, verses 18 through 22 to happen, she has to come to this field. And the same thing can be seen with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is the one who graciously provides us the Redeemer 
God is the one who has provided for us Jesus Christ. It didn't come by our hands. It didn't come through some mechanism of the world around us. No, God is the power of the gospel of God, as Romans 1 reminds us. God is the one who has provided the Redeemer for us. You see the connections here to Jesus, even in the midst of Ruth? They're so connected right here, and I hope you're not missing it. But the, New, and the Old and the New Testament speak of this over and over and over again. Micah 5, 2, one verse that we read often in the Christmas season. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrath, you were too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth from me, one who is to be a ruler in Israel. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5 say this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Key word there in verse 5, redeem. Which leads us to our second point. So now we see God provide the Redeemer. It's Boaz. Let's look behind the scenes with this man. Let's get to know Boaz. Whenever you meet someone, you know, you always ask those the first initial questions. Where are you from? What's your family? Where do you work? All those types of things. And you shed light. It gets to shed a little light on who this person is as you're getting to know someone. But if you look with me, starting in verse 4, look what, how we first are introduced to Boaz. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, those are his employees, and they answered, the Lord bless you. Boaz's character proves true. You can understand and see a lot and know a lot of a person by those first words that come out of their mouth. And what are we introduced to? Blessing. He's wanting the presence of Yahweh to be with his employees, those harvesters in the field. What a boss to have. To be able, those are the first words to have. I know Michael and John and Jaquan and Jake feel the same thing about me, don't you? And so I know they feel that. And so what a blessing to have me. And so just going to make that point come across clear. And so, um, but immediately what we find here is the scene changes a little bit. Verse five. So we see blessing and then he notices somebody different. Boaz said to this young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? You can almost hear it from a boss to an employee. Who is that over there? And the subtlety of his language. He notices Ruth. And look what's described of her. Ruth is once again labeled as a Moabite. We're going to see that throughout the remaining chapter here. And that's a key distinguished feature for us because, remember, she's not from Israel. She doesn't know Yahweh. But yet, remember back in chapter 1, she's committed to Yahweh. So again, you can see the writer wanting to set up all these word plays and pictures for you to see the power of God and the life of Ruth. So that's why he calls her a Moabite. Then she's connected to Naomi. The third thing is everyone in town is talking about her. And the fourth thing that we see, she has come to her, the, the harvesters, asking him for permission there in verses 6 and 7, and she has not stopped working. She's a hard worker. When you stack those things together with Ruth, you find that she is a hardworking individual. But also what we find from her is that she is falling on the mercy and the grace of the harvesters in order to survive. She knows what she's doing, but she also doesn't take it for granted. She's falling on the mercy of these people and in turn in Boaz. And then look what happens next. Here's act two, scene two, and look how Boaz responds to her. This is the heart of the Redeemer. Look what he does here in verses eight and nine. He first says this, 
my daughter. Now listen to me. Listen to my daughter. In the Hebrew there, there is an age difference, but more importantly, what that word carries is respect and care for her. It's love. It's graciousness. Second, he tells her to stay in the field, meaning you've now become like one of my employees. You're not, a, you're not some gleaner anymore. The third thing he says is, is I'm going to protect you. He's instituted as one biblical commentator says the first sexual harassment policy, and I mean that. Think about the care to someone. No one's going to harm you. No one's going to lay a finger on you. This single widowed woman. What care that he's providing for. And then he says, drink. Drink from my water. Don't go off looking for it. Don't get your own. No, come drink from my well. If you know the context of that in the Israelite culture, you would find that it's always a foreigner who serves the water to the Israelite. Always happens in that order. You can look in Genesis chapter 24 when, remember when Abraham sends a servant off to find a, a wife for his, for his son. And remember when he comes there on the camel, it's a foreigner who gives water to the servant there. And so what it is is an invitation to be able to drink and be refreshed. It's love and grace. And think about the scene. Ruth has nobody besides her depressed mother-in-law. She's into a foreign town. She didn't have anything to her name, yet Boaz, in the blink of an eye, graciously cares for her and more, and he provides. And here's another part of the story. I want you to write this word down here. Here's another important part of the story, and it is the word hesed, H-E-S-S-E-D. I'm teaching you Hebrew this morning. The Hebrew word hesed is where we get our word loving kindness or kindness. You can also interpret it as steadfast love. It is, but, it is so, but the word is hard to be able to translate in the, human, uh, the English vernacular because what it encompasses is God's covenant loyalty and his grace and his mercy, and it's so much more. We, see, we find hesed over, uh, excuse me, repeated over 250 times in the Old Testament. It's always reverencing to God. It is kindness, it's goodness, it's benevolence, it's loyalty, it's covenant faithfulness. You remember back in Exodus chapter 34 when, when God passed before Moses, and you remember in chapter 34, verse 6, one thing he says is steadfast love over Moses. That is hesed. When God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, and you remember the scene there, and remember he tells Abraham to split these animals in two, and then there's a smoking pot that's going to go right in between them. Remember that scene? But what God is saying to Abraham is this, if I am ever unfaithful, may I be like these dead birds cut in half. That's what he's committing to, yeah, to Abraham. When you are unfaithful, I'm going to be faithful. And since God cannot go against himself, he will always and has always is and is faithful. Sinclair Ferguson says this of Hesed, it is God obligating himself to bring the fruition of the blessing that he has promised whatever it may cost him personally to do that. And because Boaz, with his God-centered life, walking according to the word of God, he knows that God has redeemed him. He knows what he's been delivered from. And in the same, thing, in the same sentiment, he displays God's covenant loyalty and love to Ruth. And this is what we find that he is really a steadfast love kind of man. It's a romantic story in the same sense, and this is the kind of guy that he's being described. He's a Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3 man. Let not, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And this can be described of Boaz. 
And look what he continues to do. He sees Ruth's hesed there in verse 11. And look what takes place in verse 12. Boaz entreats, look what he says to her. He entreats God to repay Ruth for her actions. He's asking God, which I've seen you do for your mother-in-law. You've come back to this foreign land. You're working hard for her. I'm asking God to repay you. And then he says, may your full reward, which means may your wages be full. What he says, what he means by that is now since she is committing to Yahweh, may the Lord provide abundantly for her. What a blessing. And then lastly, look at the tenderness and the kindness from Boaz coming from his mouth. There, using the metaphor of a mother bird, he says, the sheltering, like a mother bird sheltering her chick. I love that. I'd be drenched over you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a southern expression of bless your heart and you keep moving. No, this is not, as I like to say, proud southern humility. No, this is not that in one sense. This is this bless your heart moment that's not taking place here, but what's really taking place is a mother protecting her chick. It is when the darkest moment of your life, when someone speaks love and truth to you. It's a moment, for example, I remember my mom was on her deathbed and I had some time with her by myself. And it was just in those few moments while she was still with us, able to speak love and truth to me, words I will never forget. You've been there. Maybe some of you in this room this morning are going through suffering and hardship and someone has spoken to you kind and loving words. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you realize your words matter. They can either tear up or they can tear down. So what comes out of your mouth is, flows out of your heart. And so be careful what you say. And then we can find here, even with Boaz, his words matter. Because now we can see that he cares and he loves Ruth. And then we can see here in verses 14 and 16, look what he does. He invites her to come and eat. She's, she eats until she's satisfied. She eats with people. Again, this idea of acceptance here, making her for a welcome. He even serves her. He serves this Moabite foreign woman. And then he even gives her a take-home plate, a doggy bag. Take this back to your mother-in-law. And then he sets apart grain for her. And then look how Ruth responds. Look at her first response there in verse 10. And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Her first response is she falls right before him on her face. The Hebrew here is the, denotes the idea of worship. Now, I'm not saying that she's worshiping Boaz. She's not breaking the first commandment, but what it is, it is a bowing down of, of respect and awe and ingratitude before Boaz. She is not naive she realizes because she's a foreigner what Boaz is doing. The second response is here in verse 13. She thanks Boaz for, again, there it is, speaking kindly to her. Speaking kindly to her. What she's also saying is despite the cultural, racial, heritage differences, you have made me feel more than a servant. Here's the application of this. When you take a step back for a moment and you let it sit, it's overwhelming to see the grace and the loving kindness Boaz gives to Ruth, isn't it? It really is. The same thing when we see that the only reason why Boaz is doing this is because of the Lord God himself who has poured his loving grace and kindness into Boaz and in turn he's doing it Ruth. And it's the same thing for you and for me, ladies and gentlemen. 
God's loving kindness is being poured out to us even now in this moment. I want you to see the greatest example of God's loving kindness there. If you will, take in your Bible and turn over to 1 John chapter 4, just for a moment. 1 John chapter 4. And I want you to see how God's loving kindness, his covenant loyalty is culminated in Jesus Christ. 1 John, towards the end of the Bible, almost towards Revelation. Look with me in verse 10. In this is love. The Apostle John's writing, this is about Jesus. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent us his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Look at verse 13. And this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and we testify to the Father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. This is, you can flip back to Ruth if you like, but this is the culmination of God's loving kindness as Hesed is poured out to us in Christ. We see there in 1 John that Jesus bore the penalty of, of our sins on the cross. He took the wrath of God for us on the cross. And in that same moment, we are imputed, we are given the righteousness of Christ, and we are declared right before God. Christian, do you not realize God's loving kindness towards you, towards you even now? Do you realize that it is God under his refuge, under his wings, that we are cared for all because of Christ? We no longer have spiritual hunger because Jesus is the bread of life, as John 6.35 reminds us. Do you even see that God's hesed, his loving kindness is given to us now through your family, through your health? The fact that you were able to draw breath and are alive right now is God's grace and mercy to you. Do you realize that God gave us a Bible? His kindness is given to us, the 66 books in order for our lives to live holy and blameless and peaceful lives. Do you realize that through the Bible we are called to live holy and God-fearing lives, which is an act, not only it is a command, but it is an act of grace to us because this is how God wants us to live. Romans 8.32 is always a sweet reminder for us that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously give us all things? When you understand the hesed of God's loving kindness, you respond like Ruth and you worship but here's the practical side of it as well. Let's flip the coin just over for a second. The practical element that we find here with Hesed is this. You were to be meek. Matthew 5, 5. You were to be poor in spirit, realizing where your deliverance has come from. You cannot boast before God. You were silent before God, as Romans 3 reminds us, because you realize where your deliverance has come from. And in turn, you are a humble people. You're a joyful people. The joy of the Lord it truly is your strength because you realize though you deserve the pit of hell, you now have an eternal inheritance all because of Christ Jesus. You've been delivered from, from the wrath of God all because of Christ. And so you, like Ruth, you fall down and you worship. You worship the Lord. You want to serve people here in the life of your church. You want to provide your time and your talent. And it's even through the great act of prayer. Practically speaking, that's how you can practice God's loving kindness is praying for one another. 
And it's the same thing as speaking words of kindness and allowing your words to build up instead of tear down. All that and more is the practical side of hesed. It's just like the, the, the book. You already read the book, Unbroken, the story of Louis Zamperini. It's a great book. I read it years ago. If you haven't read it, it's great. But you remember when Louis Zamperini there's, uh, is crashed there in the Pacific Ocean and he prays? The, the movie does a good job, but the book is so much better. Remember what happens? He, he says, he prays, Lord, please save me and I will dedicate my life to you. And if you read the book, what you find, he lived a path till the day he died of dedicating his life to Christ. You need to have that same response. You have been delivered from the pit of hell, like I said just a moment ago, but now have an eternal inheritance all because of Christ. And praise be to the Lord God Almighty for that gift. Which leads us to our third point. Let's look at the provision of the Redeemer. Let's look at the provision of the Redeemer. Now, we've seen his heart. We've seen that God provides Boaz. And look here, starting in verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening. And she beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an F of, of, of barley, which is about 22 liters. That's a lot of food. And she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she also brought out and gave her what the food she had left over. And after being satisfied, which is another word of saying she's, she's got a lot of food. She's eaten a lot and she's also received a lot. And her mother-in-law said to her in verse 19, Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she worked, had worked, and said, The man's name whom I have worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her mother-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have, all, they have finished all of my harvest. Verse 22, and Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with these young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. What we find here is now Hesed in action. And what we find in this third and final point is that now when Ruth returns to Naomi, she is satisfied, she has provision, but what she may not see, she doesn't have the 30,000 foot view like you and I have as we have all four chapters here of the book of Ruth. But what we find and the narrator is pointing to and pushing to is that she has been redeemed. She even says it. Not only does she have the doggy bag with her, but she also goes back into the fields to work day in and day out. And there you can even see that she is there until the harvest is done. It's a couple of months that she has the opportunity to work. This is not just a 24-hour type of story. No, this is a, a long story that we can see here. And there it is right there in the end of chapter 2. And look, as Boaz is providing for Ruth, he's providing for Naomi as well. And look how Naomi responds she responds to blessing. She responds to the gracious act of God. God has provided for her. Turn back in your Bible to one chapter, to Ruth chapter one, because here's the interesting contrast we see from Ruth. There's a lot taking place, excuse me, in Naomi, because Naomi has also had, it looks like the Lord is turning her heart a little bit because we all know we want a happy mother-in-law. 
And so look with me in chapter 1. Look what she says, starting in verse 19. So the two of them went on their way until they came to Bethlehem. And they came to Bethlehem. The whole, whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Verse 20. And she said to them, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. What a way to describe yourself. For the Almighty, look who she's blaming, has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, even though she went into enemy territory, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call my Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Turn back just one page, back to Ruth chapter 2. Remember what she says in verse 20. May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness, Hesed, has not forsaken the living or the dead. And there it is in verse 20. Boaz not only practiced kindness, but she knows that he is a redeemer. Boaz, is a, excuse me, Naomi has a good mother-in-law. Her mind's rolling. She knows where she wants this story to take place. She's already scheming. She's already planning to what should take place and hopefully will take place in her daughter-in-law's life. And there she knows that a redeemer, because of the relationship, the family connection, the, the relation of Boaz and Naomi and Elimelech, she knows that he can bring deliverance upon their situation. Let me give you a little context to this idea of redeemer. You can find, it's a really a legal term, but you can find it in Deuteronomy chapter 25 and in Leviticus 25. But in a nutshell, what a redeemer did was he kept families and land intact. That's what he did. Because what happens when situations like Ruth and Naomi came to play, whoever was the closest relative had the right, according to God's law, to be able to, in one sense, marry the widow and to buy back the land and cultivate it. And remember, if you go back even further into the book of Deuteronomy, you can see, remember, Israel, every land that, every piece of land that an Israelite gets, it's all given from God. This is not their own land. It's all given from God. So think about what redemption is. It is God saying that my land will continue to be cultivated and, Lord willing, and by his grace, more babies will be produced. That's what's taking place. So the clans, family lines will continue. That's what the act of redemption is all about. And that's what Naomi is, is saying here. She knows that he is a redeemer. She's already thinking about redemption, being saved. And this is another key point, like we've talked about already, to see how redemption is coming to the, the front of these pages right here. Naomi, but though Ruth doesn't see it, Boaz understands it, that redemption is about to happen. Naomi knows the law, and she knows that she has nothing, but she knows this, that salvation through Boaz is here. It's marriage, it's livelihood, it's survival, but most importantly, most importantly through it all, is that God is going to be honored through the act of redeeming. To be redeemed means you have nothing to give. You have no one there to support. You have no one there to be your, to be your husband, to be able to till and to cultivate the land. You are totally dependent upon someone to save you. That's what makes redemption so humbling. Because you have nothing to bring to the table. You have absolutely nothing to bring to the table. And what we find here in the law here of what God is doing, it is God's loving care upon a family. That's what redemption really is. 
It's his loving care upon families who have nothing. And it is God and God alone that provides the way for families to be saved. To be delivered is what's taking place here. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like salvation, doesn't it? You see it right here in the midst of the pages. The narrator doesn't miss it. He sees it. He understands what the power of redemption means. And even if you look to the New Testament, redemption or accomplishment is one way we can understand it. We can see it most importantly through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Redemption, when you look at the New Testament in the Greek, means the payment of a ransom. From guilt means to be delivered from punishment, from the power of sin. Remember what Jesus came to do in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Hear that word? Ransom. Redemption. Even if you go back into the Old Testament, it's already pointing to what Jesus is going to come and did. Isaiah 59, verse 20 says this, And a Redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who turn from their transgression. I hope you are seeing in the midst of this text that as God is sovereignly ordaining all these circumstances to take place, moving in a well-balanced manner, providing Ruth and Naomi to meet, to interact, and there Boaz providing everything she needs for life. I hope in the same time you are being reminded even now of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope you, in turn, are being flooded by the grace and the kindness and the love of the Lord Jesus because it is crystal clear to see the connection in Ruth 2 and to the gospel. It is clear that through the cross is our redemption. And what a marvelous act of loving kindness of God given to us in Jesus. One of my favorite books is by a guy named John Stott. And he wrote a book called The Cross of Christ. And you can write that down off the side. I would recommend every believer to read it, The Cross of Christ. But listen to what he says. If you are looking for a definition of love, we should not look in a dictionary, but at Calvary. But at Calvary. That's the provision of the Redeemer. Golgotha, what happened there at Calvary. And it is only through God providing the Redeemer, providing Jesus. And here in the context of chapter 2, God provided Boaz to redeem this broken family. And how now, as one commentator says, they are empty and now they are full. In closing, I'm going to go ahead and read the end of the book for you. But Boaz redeems Ruth and Naomi. He marries Ruth. You can find that in chapters 3 and 4, and I would encourage you to continue to read this story along with me. He provides for them. It's right there in the text, and they are now full. And here's the significant part of the story. We find there at the end of chapter 4 in verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And the significant part of the story is this. It shows us King David. It shows us King David comes from this line of a Moabite woman. And in order for Ruth to be redeemed, God had to put Boaz in, his, in her path. And in order for Boaz to continue to another family line to continue, what we find here is more and more people are born and David is listed. And then if you flip over to Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, guess who is listed? 
Ruth and Boaz. And guess who they're related to? Jesus. A Moabite and the line of Jesus. What a beautiful story. To be reminded of our God. To just have the gospel overflow us and humble us. And to realize in God's loving kindness, he gave us Jesus. Who took our sin debt. Who purchased our sin for us. This is our Redeemer. This is our Redeemer, the Lord God Yahweh. I'm going to close with one of my favorite hymns, The Love of God. And it says this, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hill. The wandering child is reconciled by God's beloved Son. The aching soul again made whole the priceless pardon won. Thanks be to God, our Redeemer. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for you providing and you being our Redeemer. Father, thank you for saving us from our sin, from bondage. Father, thank you for the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, how it is just a sweet, short story to see how you were sovereignly providing for this broken family and how they went away empty, but now they are full. Lord God, I pray for those in this room tonight, excuse me, this morning, that Lord God, that if someone in here doesn't know you, help them to see their Redeemer lives. Help them to see that because of Christ, they can be saved and call on him as Lord and Savior. And I pray for those in here that have been walking with Christ, whether for a short time or for a long time. God, I pray they will be, that their heart will have in them new and stirred affections for King Jesus. And we pray all these things in the good name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, information, and events, check out our website at capitalcommunitychurch.com.